how about we don't try and make food perfect because it's not perfect, just like life's not perfect. If you're recycling, that's awesome. But you also need to look at all these other pieces and you don't have to be doing them perfectly. The first step is reduce, then reuse, then recycle. They are in order. Get inspired by people fighting to make this world better for everyone. This is Unwasted with Imperfect. Jonathan Bloom, welcome to the Unwasted podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure. First off, I really just want to thank you because I think your book, American Wasteland, was one of these kind of groundbreaking works that really helped shed light on the important and kind of shocking problem of food waste in the U.S. You know, I think today you're known as one of the authorities on the problem of global food waste, and you've written really extensively about it. You know, you've worked with groups like the NRDC and the UN Food and Agriculture Organization. I'd love to start with, you know, how did you become a full-time writer, you know, writing about food and environmental issues? Oh, gosh. Um, Well, I've always been interested in food, first off, as an eater and an enjoyer. Um, But as I got a bit older, I sort of started gravitating toward these stories of people who are producing food and growing it, but also cooking it. And I I was uh, someone who really was interested in these little hole-in-the-wall restaurants. And, And so whenever there was some sort of surprising or or perhaps uh, unforeseen restaurant i was i was interested in writing about that um as i got a bit on i i gravitated toward the subject of food not being eaten and i guess that really spoke to me in part because i do appreciate and love food and and it's something that that i think about just about every second of the day yeah is there any advice you have for aspiring writers or journalists out there that folks might be listening that want to kind of follow in your footsteps? Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, I, I think just being true to yourself, listening to where your interests lie. Uh, if you're doing something you love, then it doesn't seem like work. So if you can figure out where your passion lies, uh, follow that and, and really hold dear to it. Awesome. Sound sound words of wisdom there. You know, I'd love to talk about the book American Wasteland. You know, you mentioned a little bit of it, you know, learning about the problem of food waste and being shocked just as an eater how much was going to waste. I'd love to hear more about kind of, you know, how did, how did this book come to be? How did you decide this is more than just a casual interest? Like I really want to and maybe need to write a book about this. Yeah, so I learned about how much food is being wasted somewhat serendipitously just by volunteering at a place called DC Central Kitchen, which I'm sure many of your listeners will be familiar with. But um, but just seeing the the sheer volume of food that wasn't being used and was was needing rescue, and then figuring out like that there were these organizations out there that were, were doing that hard work. Uh, that sort of led me down this path of seeing how much food was going to waste. And from that point on, I was like thinking to myself, how do I shed light on this issue? Yep. And as a, a print journalist and, and someone who's been a lover of books for most of my life, I, my next thought was, well, this, this is a book. And yep. From that point on, it was a question of how do I actually make that happen? And there were mm-hmm. a lot of logistics involved, but but I always wanted to to shed light on the problem. And I thought a book is is the way that I can do it best. Yeah. Awesome. So it just, it kind of seemed like it needed to happen on some level. The, the book was the only format that would really uh, kind of scratch that itch. Yeah. I mean, I think 
as we've seen in several cases, the the topic makes a really interesting documentary film. Yep. If I was a filmmaker, I would have gravitated toward that. But um, you know, the written word is my medium, and yep. so uh, so we got a book. Um, I also started a blog, wastedfood.com, which was instrumental in in helping me gain some some stature and build a platform from which I could actually get a book contract. Yeah. You know, I th- you think your book is packed with such awesome research and some pretty sobering facts about food waste. You know, how did you go about doing the research for the book and kind of what type of data about food waste is out there that you were kind of drawing from? Um, yeah, well, there were, there were two main threads there. I mean, I, I wanted to pull together whatever data was available, whether it's globally or domestically. Um, there was, you know, a little bit uh, here and there, and then when you started to pull, to pull in all the information from like municipal solid waste statistics, uh, there was a lot of like food data, but also trash data. Yeah, and so I saw my role as as really collating that information and making it digestible. But I also wanted to write a book that was somewhat interesting and wasn't just a <laughs> bunch of numbers put together. Yeah. So. So collecting stories, going out and talking to people, doing interviews, whether in person or by phone, that was part of the process. But then most enjoyably for me was putting myself in some situations in the world of food Hmm. where I worked on a farm, I worked at a restaurant uh, for a catering company and also at a supermarket. And so just seeing the problem up close and personal, I think that was uh, for me the most interesting part. And I would venture to guess the the part of the book that that really comes to life most for readers. Yeah, I think that idea of uh, personifying the problem, but also uh, firsthand experiencing it, I think is so powerful because I think a lot of times when you learn about, especially the stat side of food waste, it it's upsetting, but it kind of makes you want to point fingers or, or blame people. Like, how can people throw out food at home? Or how can grocery stores throw out food? Or why are farmers overproducing? But I love the angle you've taken, which is let's actually immerse myself in that world so that I can understand where these gaps are. Because it's you know, food waste is an interesting problem because it's not like anyone's trying to waste food. Like I've yet to run into someone that's like really excited about how much food they're wasting. And yet it is this perverse thing you know, that just kind of builds up and happens. You know, I'd love to hear about maybe one of these firsthand experiences, like when you kind of went in and immersed yourself with grocery or farming, you know, what was one of the more surprising things you learned through that, that process? Yeah, and and I love what you said, Riley, about like no one really being pro waste, and and yeah, I've yet to encounter anyone yeah. who's trying to waste as much food as possible, but yet it happens, um, you know. And and so, where where do we go from there? And so, yeah, apathy. It seems like one of the major enemies here. And uh, in some of my research, like when I visited a family. Just sort of trying to get like some average folks in there, some people outside of of my world. Um, that was was one thing that really stood out to me is like they didn't really see the amount of food that they were throwing out because it didn't stick around. So hmm. I was over. I I basically invited myself over for dinner and created an incredibly awkward. <laughs> <laughs> Where, where I, they kind of knew what I was up to, but um, promised to act normally, and uh, and so 
through the course of watching this couple prepare their food and then eat it and then save or not save leftovers, I, I saw that you know they weren't really thinking about food being wasted. That was just sort of the cost of doing business in a way. Like that was mm. how dinner worked at their house. And and so that was eye-opening for me because I grew up in a household where like we saved all of our leftovers and my mom had like the smallest containers you could imagine. <laughs> there was nothing that was too small to save because I mean, Hey, it'll make whatever you're eating the next day better. Um, yeah. whether it's one bite or a whole meal. So, um, so that's my worldview and, and that's sort of what I brought to this project. But in the course of doing this research, I've had to, to understand, do a bit of sociology to, to understand some people who aren't leftover lovers and who just don't see the issue. Yeah, I think that's a really important point you touched on just now and also that your book really brings up that it's really the invisibility of food waste that's the biggest problem about it. Um, I'd love to hear, you know, what's your take on how is food waste such an invisible problem? And, you know, what can those of us that are worried about it do to making it making it more visible and something that's top of mind for folks? Yeah, well, so food waste often is compared to recycling in in some ways uh, positively where, you know, like we've started to recycle on a widespread basis. And so we can do the same with reducing food waste. Um, and, and that's great, except like food waste doesn't stick around. Like you don't mm. notice it because we've sent it away and and so it's it's down the drain or out with the trash or best case scenario being composted but when you don't see that aggregation of of food waste you don't really tend to notice it unless unless you are doing some composting and and i find that that activity can have really interesting consequences if we're able to view what we're not using and and then draw some conclusions especially at, at a, a household level where it's yeah. directly coming out of your wallet or pocketbook. And, and so that's just money that could be better spent elsewhere, not to mention all of the environmental consequences. So, yeah, I think, I think uh, if we're able to get people to see how much food they're not using, then they'll change their behavior. And if they are the ones to notice it, I think they will be much more likely to actually change their behavior rather than being told what to do. Yeah, nobody nobody likes a lecture. That's definitely kind of a, a truism I found ac- across all these environmental issues that you're never going to get there just by scolding people, right? Like that's you got to make it fun and engaging and motivating. Um, I love what you said about making it uh, visible. I think that's really important. I've noticed in my life, like when I can see everything in my fridge, for example, it's a lot easier to avoid waste. Whereas when it's packed too full, waste is almost inevitable just because there's always going to be something I can't see or just physically more stuff than I can even get through in a given week. Like what are some other tips or strategies you think folks can try to just make the waste a bit more visible and, and preventable, hopefully? Well, yeah, building on on that idea of of your own refrigerator. I mean, that's like the classic mistake is we just buy too much food. And uh, I mean, we're kind of up against it here. Like we as humans don't like a sparse refrigerator. We're going against millennia of of development here. Basic instincts of having enough food around because there's this innate fear of starvation. Uh, So, so it's an uphill battle to, to get people to not fill their refrigerator to the point that, 
that they basically are forcing themselves to waste food. Yeah. Um, when you go to the store, uh, think about that situation. Who knows? Maybe you have one of those cool new refrigerators where you can actually like look inside your refrigerator f- remotely. That's kind of neat. Yeah. Um, barring that, uh, going to the store more often and buying less each time, like being yeah. more nimble with your food supply. I think that's probably our best bet in terms of eliminating this problem. Yeah. I think the the frequency thing is key. I've actually seen some research recently. We've been sharing it on our Twitter at Imperfect that, yeah, the smaller shops more often are just a really great way to dodge this entirely because you're not, you know, because the reality is, and this is like the conundrum that we deal with as a company, to be honest, is some stuff is just not long for this world. And we can give people tips and tricks and recipes all we want. And we do, and it helps. But the reality is no tip or trick is going to help with the fact that like parsley is just wants to wilt, right? Like lettuce is not long for this world. Uh, You know, proteins like need to be eaten or frozen pretty quickly. So I think I love the idea of the smaller shop because that way, if you're going to buy stuff like that, you're buying it in a manageable quantity, not these like horrendous fridge filling quantities where suddenly it's, it's actually a burden more than a joy to finish. Right. But then if you do have that full refrigerator, I mean, this is, how I think like I open the fridge and it's like, okay, what's going bad the soonest. Yeah. (laughs) So it's like, it's a, it's a game of triage and I'm basically, it's not, what do I want to eat now? It's like, what should I eat? Yeah. I'm not sure I'd wish that mindset on anyone, but (laughs) I think if more people thought that way, there would be less waste and uh, maybe some dumbed down version of that. Uh, the uh, the light version of that mindset would help. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, I'd love to talk about kind of the environmental angle of this for a bit. There's a National Geographic article I read that cited some of your research. It's really powerful. It says that, you know, food waste in the U.S. weights about 70 times as much oil as was lost in the Deepwater Horizon disaster. So like embedded in all this food is fossil fuels and water and all these other resources. Can you elaborate a bit on just what are some of the bigger environmental costs of food waste and, you know, as it kind of pertains to climate change and and the world we live in. Yeah, I mean, so there are a couple factors at play here. There are the natural resources that are used to create food in vain that we don't need, that we don't use. Uh, So a tremendous amount of uh, petroleum and water essentially are, are put into producing our food. And when you look at the the aggregate amount of, of food not being used, um, you know, the greenhouse gas estimates is about 8% of all greenhouse gas emissions uh, don't need to happen essentially because it's coming from food grown in vain. Mm. And so that's a pretty significant number there. Uh, the, the project drawdown idea of looking at solutions for climate change, uh, they put reducing food waste as the number three most impactful solution. And um, given that it's not really asking us to dramatically change our behavior, you know, it's not like we're being asked to give up automobiles or something like that. I think reducing food waste with a few simple steps is quite attainable. And And so it's really important we do so. Um, yeah. On the other end of things, there there are methane emissions that occur when food ends up in a landfill, and when food basically rots without air, it creates methane. And so yeah. meth- methane is incredibly harmful when it comes to trapping heat, uh, more so than CO two. So, uh, 
for those reasons, it's it's imperative that we actually find some solutions. Yeah. In terms of where to look for these solutions, I mean, you have a really awesome holistic view of this, both having done a bunch of research. And then, as you said, also immersed yourself in the different levels of the food food system and food loss. Like, Where do you see most action needed to turn around food waste? Do you think it's farms? Is it grocery stores, homes, government policy? Like, I mean, obviously, I know they all matter. But if you were to identify like a couple, like these are really going to move the lever ones, like what's your take on that? I mean, I think this, the easy answer is like everywhere and, and action is not mutually exclusive. Like yeah. we can tackle this problem at all levels at all, all at once. And I think we need to, yeah. um, but that's probably, you know, that's kind of a cop out of an answer. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I happen to agree with you though. I do think it's like, it is important to be like, it's not an either or. And we tell people this all the time, like getting a box of groceries from us is great and it's a start. But if you're really earnest about the problem, there's a dozen other things you can do today. And then another dozen tomorrow to like build on your impact. So I, I would, yeah. I would definitely echo what you said for sure. Yeah. I mean, but to fill that in a tiny bit more, uh, over the years, I've been surprised by how little impact outreach alone has and how much impact legislation can actually have. Hmm. So I think there's a real uh, need for policy on the issue. And in particular, what I've seen work really well is the state level bans on landfilling food. Yeah. And just making it illegal to throw away food, just this one simple step. Uh, counterintuitively at the end of the food chain has dramatic impact back through that entire food chain yep. and forces people at all the, the steps where food might be thrown out to just try a little harder, think a little yep. differently and, and find ways to reduce the amount of excess or redistribute the, the extra food to hopefully people in need, but maybe animals. Um, and if we can't do that, then it, really sparks the infrastructure for composting or anaerobic digestion. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm a big fan of that. Um, but one other thing I would say, elected officials are the ones who are, are going to be needed to, to impact that policy situation. But for everyday folks, I think the most important thing we can do is teach our kids not to waste food and mm. teach our kids that throwing away food is not normal and can't be the norm uh, just like we did with things like littering right, where we we had the litter bug campaign and, and we basically made it really weird to to throw stuff on the ground like where it used to be the norm uh, i think we need to focus on educating youngsters to at the very least compost and yeah. doing so in schools seems like the best way to do that that uh that to make that process happen. Yeah. I, I think you said two things that are really important. I mean, in the first part, I love the angle of you on some level, we have to make doing the wrong thing, either impossible or expensive because otherwise the default path of least resistance is to waste food because there's not a quote unquote cost or a, a you know, a, there's not a hang up associated with it. So people will just will keep doing it. And then, you know, I heard an interesting quote about tech innovation where you know, you'll always hear something is, is, inefficient or can't be done and then you create the right constraint and then suddenly you problem solve around it and so i think like we can create 
constraints that actually empower us to waste less, but like we, we can't be afraid of creating constraints. You know, like other countries we've seen uh, in France, for example, they have banned food waste to landfill and they have a totally different approach to waste than we do. I think a, a kind of more progressive one as a result. So I think that's huge. I love what you just said about kids though, because I think this is often maybe left out of the equation that, that education, especially at the youth level really matters. You know, you've, you've created this food matters action kit, right? Which is all about this topic. Yeah. You know, I'd love, I'd love to hear a bit about like, how do you get children to care about something as big and kind of overwhelming as, as an issue like food waste? I mean, it's not that hard. Uh, it's, it's pretty sensible to, well, no one wants to throw away food, right? Yeah. And for the most part in schools, they are throwing away so much food because they don't have the time or perhaps the lunch is in the wrong uh, order with recess where they haven't worked up an appetite or maybe the kids are eating at 1030 AM and it's not really lunchtime. Yeah. Um, so we've sort of created this artificial situation that's really encouraging wasted food. But when you introduce the topic, it makes total intuitive sense to kids and they get it. Um, You know, they can quite easily grasp all that goes into producing food if they've had that exposure. Um, I think some of the, the problems, and this gets into the holistic discussion of food in general, but when it's, just this thing that shows up where it's where kids are disconnected from its roots, then they don't necessarily have the the care for food that they might otherwise. But you know, if, if kids learn that food is something that that comes from the earth that that is grown with great labor and incredible inputs, uh, and has this this significant footprint, then they're going to treat it with care and. Additionally, if they learn and experience that food is something that can be magical and delicious, in addition to just being sort of sustenance, as it is in in a lot of schools where there just isn't much funding for school lunch, um, then it's going to make it even harder for them to waste that food. Yeah. I, th- I think the point you bring up about recess is really interesting. I had heard, I think maybe this is what you're referencing. There's a study where they tried just flipping the order of recess. So they put recess after lunch as opposed to before. Um, or sorry, they, they tried the opposite. I guess kids were basically f- rushing to eat their lunches and wasting a bunch of food so that they could get to recess. And just moving the lunch bef- uh, after recess meant that kids could play and then work up an appetite and then sit down and eat. And they weren't in this hurry because they weren't you know terrified about missing out on their time in the monkey bars or playing kickball or whatnot. And I distinctly remember you know being in like fifth grade and shoveling down my food just to go play basketball. And, and I think maybe even as adults, I think a lot of us are guilty of this, right? Where if you put a meal at the wrong time of day, it will force you to either not have a good time or just waste a bunch of food. Cause like, it's not when you're ready to eat. So that's yeah, really yeah. profound. And a lot of people, instead of shoveling that food down, they're just sort of not eating it and, yeah. and wanting to get out to the monkey bars and the kickball game which to be fair is, is usually pretty fun. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, like you said, there's sort of that dual impact and that simple switch of, of making recess before lunch has a, a major impact. And yeah, studies have found that it's about 20 to 30% less food waste if you just flip the order there. Whoa. So that's, that's kind of a, one of those easy switches. Um, you know, and, and, 
I think a lot of schools are, are trying to figure out how they can be part of the solution. And, and that would be a great place to start in addition to a little bit of awareness work on not wasting food and where food comes from combined with a share table and yep. perhaps some redistribution within the cafeteria yep. and talk about low tech, just, just putting a, a simple horizontal surface where kids can take something or, or, you know, leave what they don't want and, and share with others, uh, the, the foods that they don't want, but that yeah. other people do. It's, um, it's a really wonderful idea. That's, I love that. That's amazing. I, so parents, if you're listening, talk to your school or your kid's school about, uh, share tables and also when recess is, cause these yeah. things really do matter. Little, little changes have big impacts when it comes to to food, you know, in terms of educating kids about where food comes from, you know, are you talking about having gardens in schools or kind of what, what do you think are effective models of getting kids to really understand how much time and energy goes into growing food? Yeah. I mean, I think hands-on work in, in growing food in a garden is the best way to do that is the best way to make kids appreciate food and know where it comes from. Um, Aside from that, some sort of cooking module, for hmm. whether it's it's the home economics that, that we had in the past or just a, a simple cooking lesson that happens once or twice, um, just more exposure to transforming food into a meal and getting closer to our food. I think those are, are going to only help when it, yeah. when it comes to changing the mindset. And with young people, it's it's really important for them to be part of the redistribution of excess food, if possible, through a, a share table. But I think even more powerful is is just that mindset piece of of getting kids to recognize that food is not trash. Hmm. Yeah, super, super. Just that that light switch alone has huge impacts. Uh, I'd love I'd love to pivot to talk a bit about composting. I think a lot of us are composting now, or trying to compost, or trying to get our our city to compost. You know, I think you ha- you have an interesting take on composting. I've heard, which is that it might not actually be that big of a success when it comes to reducing food waste. Can you elaborate on what you mean by that? Like, what are the limitations of composting? Mm, yeah, this is kind of my food waste hot take. It's I love so, hot takes. Let's I'm get into controversial it. Controversial here. Um, <laughs> okay, first off, I will say that composting is incredibly beneficial environmentally, but when you have composting in place, it takes the heat off of reducing food waste, reducing yep. the amount of excess we create. And I can't even tell you how many people have told me that that they don't waste any food because they compost. And that's just not really the case. Um, When you look at all of the impacts that go into producing our food, uh, all of the nutrients and the water and energy that are embedded in our food supply to not use it and then send it off to a composting facility, it just doesn't come anywhere near close to putting those nutrients to good use and putting those natural resources to good use. Yeah. So it's really important to, to think about that and to also really focus on food waste reduction. Um, as I'm sure most of your listeners will know, the EPA has that hierarchy of, of what we can do better and yeah. reducing 
is at the top. And, and it's, there's a reason that when people say reduce, reuse, recycle, reduce is the first item. Yeah, I think that's huge. Uh, no, I appreciate you sharing that. Hot, I don't think it's even a hot take. I think that's just an important take because, you know, it seems pretty analogous to recycling that like we're not going to recycle our way out of the problem of plastics, for example. So recycling is not like a hall pass to just buy as much as you want. And in the same vein, like composting is not a green light to buy more food than you can use. You know, I've, I, I met uh, this guy who works at Dirt Hugger, which is this industrial composting operation up in Washington. And he mm-hmm. told me this really really interesting story where he had, I think it was both pear and cherry growers coming to him with literally truckloads of edible pears and cherries that was just surplus that they couldn't move. And they were saying, please take this. We don't want to have to throw it away. We would love to compost it. And, you know, he took what he could, but he said to me and to them, like this is missing the point of composting. Like the goal of composting is not to turn edible food into soil. It's to turn the leftovers and the scraps and the stuff that you cannot put to any other use to soil. And so I, I just appreciate you underlining that distinction because this is something that I think I kind of got confused earlier in my life too of like composting's great. Like we're creating soil, but it's like, wouldn't we rather either not consume as much or feed other people or feed animals before we're like, resorting to the soil and so yeah i think that's just so important so i just want to say yeah. thanks for underlining that oh sure and and like with that example in particular like those are raw ingredients for other food products that you can yeah. make and like that's a that's a business opportunity right there someone yeah. who can take slightly bruised pears or cherries and and make juice and uh, smoothies and popsicles and even like I've talked to people who are trying to make booze out of those fruits and vegetables or mostly fruits but um, you know when when you have the raw ingredients there like do something with it don't just compost it yeah I think that's huge I mean I think in in Europe there's whole industries where they make these like O to V's that are like their bumper crop of pears that they just infuse into a neutral spirit and then you end up with this amazing uh, pear liqueur so there's definitely business opportunities there yeah, I think it's kind of a conundrum. I think a lot of people assume because you can turn bruised pears into uh, jam or jelly or booze that all bruised pears do become something else. And so I think that's just something we have to figure out as a society is like creating the yeah. infrastructure. Because the reality is like this composter had truckloads of pears because there was no other alternative. So I think our collective challenge is to create those alternatives because until it's easy or cheap for that person to either donate the pairs or make upcycle them into something else, like they're probably going to keep bringing them to get composted, which is kind of the head scratcher of it. Well, to, to complicate the picture a tiny bit, I mean, there, there is an alternative and it's the landfill. Yeah. (laughs) Unfortunately. And in most cases that is cheaper than composting. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's where I think, the need for policy comes in and making it so that people have to at the very least compost that that that's beneficial yeah i've I've been at the salinas california transfer station and and seen the trucks and trucks of lettuce and other greens that are just being thrown away and that was like that was really eye-opening for me that you'd have these huge grower shippers and They'd have the unharvested stuff that would just get plowed under in the field, but then there was the the harvested stuff that wasn't quite good enough to make it 
to the supermarkets and, yep. and that was just being trucked off and um, to have that being thrown away is just so crazy. Yeah, totally. Again, it's uh, something I've heard from several people, you know, you included that this ultimately a lot of this uh, food waste problem, it's a logistics and a kind of a transport, a shipping conundrum. It's not a production problem, but we do have to be earnest about that and recognize like if we're if we want to have the salad not go into the dump in salinas like we have to provide the growers with a better alternative uh you know and we're trying to do this at imperfect with our model but like more work i think is needed it's clear based on what you're saying that there's still so much more we could all be doing for to create viable other outcomes besides landfill well i mean i agree uh, almost entirely except i would say on the production level Mm. we're still operating in this mindset where we're just growing from fence row to fence row yeah producing so much and then using about half of it. Um, so to have this, this incredible abundance that really is unnecessary and is, is a waste of resources, all of the, the fertilizer and other petro impacts yep. impacts that go into producing that it's like not the best use of, of resources. And then you have all that runoff going into the waterways so, um, yeah, just maybe being a bit more sensible on how much we grow and as you all are doing, pushing the idea of making more appearances uh, acceptable, you yeah. know, accepting a wider range of, of fruits and vegetables. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point you make. You know, we had a great chat on the show with Doug Rao of Trader Joe's about this. And he said, like, we do have to look in the mirror when it comes to especially grocery level waste because stores are stocking so much and farms are growing so much because there's this expectation of abundance and kind of perma variety at the store that you shouldn't, you should never have to sacrifice what you can get at the store. And until we are willing to relax that expectation, farmers will overgrow and stores will overstock because that's kind of the default. So I do, I appreciate you, you bringing that up. You know, I'd, I'd love to, to close here with a bit of what's your experience with food waste around your house. You know, what, what tips or tricks have you found or, uh, you know, work for you? and reducing waste? Um, I try to make dinner with what's around. Yep. And uh, it's like the uh, the perpetual leftovers, but I try to cook dishes that are, are quite flexible and incorporate just about any kinds of veggie or uh, rarely meat scrap that, that tend to exist in my household. Um, and like, the, I can't believe I'm actually saying this, but I just had the, the classic example of like chicken leftovers from a restaurant that then went to chicken salad and then the bones and skin went into creating chicken stock, which I'll then make into a soup uh, probably in the next few days. So it's like just thinking holistically in that way. Uh, about what you can do with your leftovers and yeah. and trying to have fun with it too. Like yeah. make it a bit of a, a game, add some novelty to, to your culinary routine. And like we get in these little ruts on a, a household cooking level and just having some of those limitations, like you mentioned earlier, some constraints can really prompt creativity. Yeah. So I can, I'm really make that the norm. And obviously I, I try to eliminate the excess by not buying too much. So I'm buying food most days, I would say. 
Yeah. So <laughs> you're, you're a frequent shopper then. That's I one of you. An incredibly frequent shopper, partly because I enjoy the, the retail food environment. Yeah. But um, also by ideology. Yeah. No, it makes sense. I'm a fellow recreational grocery shopper too. I find it very inspiring. And (laughs) maybe I should coin it. If, uh, especially if you're not in a hurry, like, uh, you know, I think a lot of times grocery shopping is annoying when there's not enough time and the parking lot and the lines and everything stress you out. But if you can carve out time, uh, on, you know, I like going weekdays at a weird time. If you can pull it off, like whether it's after work or in the morning, even like weekdays, grocery stores are pretty chill, you know, never Mm. go Sunday evening is what I've found. It gets, gets pretty apocalypse now and there. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I try and steer clear of of supermarket rush hour, but but it's a great place to people watch. And I kind of get a kick out of talking to strangers. So yeah, it's a really equalizing place because, you know, we're all in there just trying to like figure it out and feed our families or or find something good for ourselves to eat. And it's a a really neat place to, to talk with people you might otherwise, you might not otherwise get the chance to talk to. Yeah. That's a great point. I think it's also, like you said, the people watching is fascinating. Uh, you, I think you can learn so much about someone by what they're checking out. You know, I always like to give a little peek and see who's checking out behind me and what they've got and try to imagine what meal they're about to make. It's, it's always a fun game. Um, this has been such a great chat. I'd love to transition now into the speed round. These are just some closing questions just to wrap wow. it up and end on kind of a fun variety note. Are you ready? Okay. Are there right and wrong answers here? There's no right or wrong answers. Okay. Just speak good, good. speak your truth. Uh, okay, so the first one is, is there anything you wish I'd asked about that I didn't or something that you wish you know, you'd had a bit more time to talk about? Oh, goodness. Um, I'm just glad you didn't use the phrase, talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> talk about your book that's a, a pet peeve of mine from yeah. journalism school but uh but no uh i'm i'm pretty happy that we got to talk a lot about the youth and teaching kids not to waste food um i guess i would say my second most favorite topic is gleaning Ooh, and, okay um, so yeah like getting out into the field and doing some volunteer work where you're actually harvesting foods that otherwise would be plowed under or not used. It's a really fabulous way to see the problem up close and personal and be part of the solution. So uh, I would wholeheartedly recommend that for anyone out there listening, whatever that, I don't know what the particular organization near you might be yeah but um the society of st andrew is in a lot of states and they do great work awesome that's really helpful uh yeah it's funny this question i think often comes across as like did i do a good job in the interview and a lot of times people be like oh no it was great don't worry about it and your answer has made me realize i think i need to pivot it to what you said of like what's what's kind of a follow-up to this episode you'd recommend for the listener um because i I think i do think you're doing a great job oh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I appreciate that. But I think, yeah, so to your, to your point earlier, yeah, for those listening, follow, great follow-up to this episode is look into gleaning. I think that's a whole subtopic of what we talked about that's huge. And I think that, again, like all this stuff, there's a lot more potential there. Um, yeah, maybe is, Imperfect can even like help people find local gleaning that's outings. A gr- or, that's or a great idea. Them. That's a really awesome, I'm writing maybe this down. That's a bad idea for like, it could help you get some new customers too. You know? Yeah. No, this is a great idea. I'm writing this down for the show notes. A wonderful. Um, okay. So what's a positive change you've made in your life in the past year that you think folks, folks listening should try? 
Uh, a positive change that I've made in regards to food waste? Or... Literally, literally whatever. Oh, anything. Um, uh, I started getting the newspaper at home and Ooh. trying to really just take like 20 minutes in the morning to see what's going on out there and stay informed and like do my part to be an informed citizen. Um, I, I would recommend that. Yeah. That's awesome. That's a, that's a good tip. We get a lot of advice to start meditating, which I think is also really important, but I'm glad you brought up reading your, your paper. Uh, are you reading your local paper or the times or what are you reading? Uh, the New York times. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. And if you're going to cook for somebody and you want to make them feel loved, what are you going to make for them? Um, I, I, I like to make, a this like really cheesy risotto dish that um, kind of fills you up on a cold winter day, throw in a bunch of root vegetables, maybe. Yeah. Depending on the season, but um, something that like cooks for a bit and makes the kitchen smell really nice. Yeah. Bake a a homemade loaf of bread. Yeah. As if I really love them. That's Yeah, it's a lot of effort. <laughs> it sounds like it. I wish it was. It's really hot here in California right now. I wish it was colder because that sounds like the ultimate like cold warm me up meal. Yeah, That's it's amazing. funny you say that. I don't think of like hot weather as as being a time to cook, and but uh, increasingly we're going to be in warmer weather. So I wonder how that will impact our our culture in the kitchen. Mm. Comfort food might change from like stews to salads and poke. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't sound right now, but things change. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, what's an ingredient you couldn't live without? Ooh, um, I think cheese. I, I think I, I think I could probably be a vegan were it not for cheese. Hmm. Um, I think that's that's up there. And. Um, uh second place would probably be like fresh greens like mm. kale and arugula yeah garden if possible that's pretty much on my plate every day that sounds awesome and what is your least favorite thing to waste oh definitely animal products yeah um beef i suppose would be number one given its yep. impact so, yeah, yeah. Um, that that's a tough one to stomach. I 100% agree. We just I literally wrote a blog post the other day for Imperfect about avoiding protein waste because you're totally right. Like it just comes with a bigger, well, both price tag but also cost to the environment. So definitely yeah, got and it. And like ethically too. Like yeah. if you're gonna, you know, if you're you're gonna okay the killing or the death of something. Yeah. To eat it. The least you could do is actually consume it. Yeah. So um, so true. And what is your go-to karaoke song? Uh, I've never done karaoke. Ooh, you're a second guest who has never karaoke. Okay, let's let's pivot but, to. But but I was singing in the car with my kids yesterday. Yeah, Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, so, fantastic answer. Yeah, and they're yeah. like all three of us were singing along. It was it was really fun. That's and, a fun uh, one for a group too. Yeah. 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 So I guess if I did do karaoke and maybe this is like the the spur that I need to go do it, <laughs> then that would be my song. 
Excellent. Well, if you become a karaoke phenom, folks, he got inspired here first on the Unwasted podcast. Uh, who is somebody you admire tremendously and what do you admire about them? Oh, goodness. Um, there's a lot of people I admire. Um, I, I really admire Calvin Trillin as a writer. Uh, he's someone who inspired me to, to just focus on something you really love and to, to put the time in and to hopefully make it approachable to people. But if you are having fun with it and being true to yourself, then, then people will enjoy it as well. I think his writing really fits that description. That's awesome. What, what a great way to write, but also to live. That's really great. And closing here with uh, what are you grateful for this week? Um, well, in, uh, in these political climates and given the, the actual climate change that's happening, I'm just sort of trying to zoom out a little bit and be thankful for a sunny day where you can laugh and like, get a kick out of kids being silly and maybe enjoy a, a good meal or, or two and a nice beer to go along with it. I think that just if we can sort of take a step back and appreciate what we have and, yeah. uh, and I'm not able to do that every day, but, but I try to do that as much as I can. What a great note to end on Jonathan Bloom. Thank you so much for joining us today. Where can folks learn more about you and the work that you do? Yeah, my information's all on wastedfood.com and I'm at wastedfood on Twitter and Instagram. Excellent. And we'll have links to everything we talked about today in the show notes and on our website on wastedpodcast.com. And if you listening have questions or comments, shoot us an email at feedback at unwastedpodcast.com. Jonathan Bloom, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. This has been really fun. 